Have, have you ever been afraid this year? Yeah. What, what is it? Uh, we all have these things. Yeah. Um, what we understand about, not just in our community, but in our world, is that somehow God um, has allowed this virus and many other things to come into our presence. As we think about those things, is it, not, is it wrong to be afraid? I guess that's a good question. I've been thinking about that. Uh, is it wrong to be afraid of a rattlesnake? Is it or not? It's okay to be afraid of something like that. Is it afraid? Is it okay to be afraid when the doctor tells you that some of your test results come back the wrong way? You know, there, there, there are natural fears. Fear is a natural part of us, and yet we need to understand how God would have us to respond to those fears. The fears that we see uh, people having uh, uh, in, this, in the Christmas story, there are numbers of things. I was looking at uh, a commentary this week, and, and it said uh, that the idea of don't be afraid or don't have fear is in the scripture 365 times. Now, I, I'm not very good at math, but that means God tells us to not be afraid 365 days of the year. And so we, are, we have to understand and know those things. But this morning, I want us to look at three people in the Christmas story and the way they ha were brought into a way of fear and what they, how they responded to their fear. The first one of those people is um, Zechariah. Uh, the scripture tells us a story about Zechariah. It says that he and his wife Elizabeth were diligently serving the Lord. They were both from the family of Levi, which meant they were from the family of priests. And Levi was a, a priest who served in the temple. Now, I did a little look back, what, how does that work? And the scriptures don't tell us this, but history tells us that there were 24 groups of these people uh, who served in the temple. They were the priests and the Levites. And that um, each one of those groups served a week, one part of the year, and then in the next part of the year, they served another week. So, there, so if you were a, a priest, you served two weeks in the year. Uh, then they had special events, special feast and festival times, and at that time all the priests would come because there would be such a mass crowd there. But when we think about these kinds of things, we understand that, that in the story of Zechariah, it tells us that Zechariah was doing his weekly duty, his one week's duty, and that they cast lots now, I don't know exactly how they did that. The, the, the Jewish people did that in several different ways. But in however they did it, they cast lots. And Zechariah's lot was, came up. And he was given the honor and privilege to go into the temple to burn incense. Now, in burning incense, the scripture tells us that the, the incense smoke from the incense represents the prayers of the people. So also in that story, it tells us when Zechariah went in, there was a big crowd of people already there, and they all were outside of the temple while he went inside, but they were praying, the scripture says. And so we understand that, that uh, the significance of this uh, opportunity for Zechariah to go into the temple was a very unique opportunity. For many of these people, it was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. 
And so when we understand that this was so special to Zechariah, that we, want, we, we know that when he went into the temple, he had one thing in his mind and heart, and that was the privilege of serving uh, God through offering the incense, as it represented the prayers of the people. But then more than that, when Zechariah got into the temple, which was a pretty big deal for him, uh, on the right side of the incense altar, there were several different things in the, um, the temple. There was a, a table with the bread, showbread on it. There was a, uh, the menorah, which had the different lights on it, the, the lamps that were always to be continually burning. And then there was the, tape, the, the incense burners. When Zechariah goes into the temple, you can imagine this kind of dimly lit kind of thing. It's not beautiful, bright windows like we have in our sanctuary. But when he went in, there was a, an angel standing next to the incense burner. Have you ever met an angel like that? I mean, we, we call each other angels occasionally. We talk about people who maybe have seen something. But when you see an angel in the scripture, there's always one thing that happens. The angel has to tell you, don't be afraid. That tells you something about angels, right? That, that, God, that these messengers from God are awesome. Uh, we read about some of that in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 when, when Isaiah has his great calling vision and the, the angels were flying around the throne of God and they, they had uh, six wings and they were, they were very much uh, in, uh, put uh, Isaiah into an awe experience. So this angel is there and the angel has a message for Zechariah. Now remember, this is probably a once in a lifetime thing for Zechariah to be chosen to go in and put the incense on the incense burner. And so, wow, what, what would Zechariah be thinking about it normally? What a privilege it would be to go into the temple of God and to offer prayers and represent those prayers to the people, for the people. But the, but the angel had a different kind of message for Zechariah. And the angel of the mess, the message the angel said is your prayers have been answered. Now, we know that the Jewish people had special prayers, and one of their special prayers that they always prayed, and we can imagine the people outside of the temple that day, they're praying, and they that special prayer was that the Messiah would come. And so uh, when Zechariah uh, comes and hears the message of the angel that angel that, that his prayers have been answered. That might be a prayer that he thought was thinking about, that the Messiah was going to come. And that was true, but there was another message. And that other message was, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby boy. And that baby boy's name is going to be John. Now, we know there are several times in the scripture where people who are outside of what we call childbearing age get pregnant and have children. Uh, this is one of those occasions. So Zechariah's answer to the angel was, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy. I mean, don't you know that my wife is Elizabeth is, is elderly and she is beyond childbearing and I'm an elderly man, don't you understand that? And the angel said, because of you and refusing to, under, to believe what I've said to you, you're going to be mute. Now, that's a pretty strong thing. That, that, that Zechariah would, would become a mute. He would not be able to speak. When Zechariah 
he experiences this. He comes out of the temple, and he's been in there a long time, evidently, because the scripture says the people were wondering what happened. Why was he in there for so long a time? And when he came out, he couldn't speak, and they said, uh-oh, he's had a vision. He's had a message from God. Well, the scripture says that after that, Zechariah went home after his week of service, and that soon after that, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And in the, in the midst of this uh, celebration, uh, kind of in the, after a few week, few months of her pregnancy, uh, six months, I believe the scripture says, uh, Mary, who is going to be the mother of Jesus, comes for a visit. Somehow they are relatives at, at some point or another. We don't know exactly how that, what their relationship was. But, but when, when Mary comes, to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the, they discover uh, that they're both pregnant and that the baby which is in the womb of Elizabeth uh, responds to uh, the presence of Mary and her child. And in the midst of all of this, we know that Zechariah's, uh, he's really wanting to be part of this and he's mute at this point. Now, it comes to a certain point in the life of the baby that the baby has a ceremony in which it's named. And so everybody got together, all the neighbors came together, and they got together and they said, okay, we're going to name this baby Zachariah after his father. Well, Zachariah wasn't sure that that was what was needed to be happening. God, the angel had already told him, name your baby John. And so Zachariah moves from his fear of what God has done to an experience of faith. And when Zechariah calls for a tablet, not like your tablets, a tablet, um, he uh, wrote on it, probably it was a, 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 with a stylus of some kind, and he wrote, his name is John. And the people were amazed at that. But more amazing than the fact that he wrote that his name is John, naming the baby John, it was, it, the scripture says his tongue was let loose and uh, he began to speak. He began to say things uh, uh, that were in his heart all of these six months, nine months time period for, where, uh, where no, as, a, as before the baby is born. So we understand that, that when we have an experience where God gives us an instruction, we're very thankful that we live in a time and a place and we have a church where each week the pastor preaches the word of God faithfully and he gives it to us in full measure. And so we're, we're thankful that we have that. So, so that our, our question is when we hear the word of God and God is speaking to us and he gives us an encouragement to share a message, then how are we to respond? Well, first of all, Zechariah didn't respond very well. He said, God, you can't do this. Has, have you ever felt like God was giving you something to do and you explained to God why you couldn't do it? I think that's a fairly common experience for many Christians today. That they understand God's word says you ought to be obedient to these things and yet we, like Zechariah, say, well, you don't understand God. Now, the question is, does God understand? Do you think God knows who you are and what you're doing and what your circumstances are? And, and within the context of all of those things, does God not give you an opportunity to participate in what he's doing in our world?
And as he does that, then we have a decision to make. Are we gonna be without faith and be in fear of being obedient? Or are we gonna do like Zechariah and turn our heart toward obedience? Because when Zechariah turned his heart toward obedience, he was able to praise God and to offer a blessing to God. In this section of, of Luke chapter two, there are two great, they're called hymns or poems of praise to God. And, and Zechariah, after his tongue is loosed, is able to give this awesome uh, prayer, this awesome uh, poem of praise to God. And so what we understand is that when we are able to, to be obedient in faith to what God calls us to do, then he gives us an opportunity then to rejoice, to give praise back to him because of his work in our life. Our question is, when we encounter these things, how do we respond? The second person that we talk, we talk about this morning is Mary. And Mary is the, uh, the young girl, almost probably a young teenager. Uh, uh, the, the context of the history tells us that she was maybe 13 to 15 years old, somewhere along in that age group. And um, Mary has a, a visitor. Just like Zechariah had a visitor, Mary has a visitor. And this visitor is the same. It is, it is Gabriel, the angel. Now, Gabriel, the angel, tells us a little bit about who he is. He says he is the angel which stands at the right hand of the throne. That right hand of the throne was the place of, of power. It was a place of, of good uh, responsibilities. And so, because Gabriel stands in that place, then what he, what he has been told uh, is the message to bring to Mary. So when Mary meets the angel, what is the first thing she does? She's afraid. And so the angel says to her, don't be afraid. But then he gives her something, a, a different, very strange medicine, very strange message. And that strange message is, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Now, when he says to Mary, you're going to have a baby, then she begins to tell him why she can't have a baby. Uh, again, we have that illustration of God saying he has a plan and a purpose for a person's life, and yet that person is very reticent to, to accept that opportunity. Uh, uh, but this is the most unique opportunity that has been offered to anybody, and that is that the Holy Spirit would come to Mary and she would have a son and his name would be Jesus. And that understanding of those kinds of things took, took Mary from being a, a person of fear to a person of worship. Now, what we understand is, in, as I said in that latter part of, the, of, the, of this chapter two, chapter one in Luke, is that, that there is a, um, a song, it's called Mary's Magnificat, and it, it, it is a parallel to Zechariah's song. But before Mary is able to go and be with Elizabeth and to have that experience, uh, she, had a, he, she had to make a response to um, the angel. And so the response that Mary gave to the angel was, in, is, we find it in Luke 1, uh, 38. And it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, when God challenges you to be obedient to him and those things which come into your life as opportunities for service, how do we respond to that? Do we respond in fear 
or do we respond in, in, in offering special worship to God because he has given us this opportunity? Um, so many people have such an, a diff, different idea about what it means to worship, but ultimately what it means is that you and God are in this relationship toward each other in such a way that you are able to offer him praise, you're able to offer him uh, a thanksgiving for his uh, revealing himself to you. And so that's what we see in Mary's response. The, the things about the birth of Jesus in the cultural context of the time where they were living, this would all seem backwards. It would all seem different because uh, Mary was still a virgin and she was a young girl. And even though the scripture says she was a blessed person, it meant she had a great uh, attitude toward her relationship to God. There is a fulfillment of that relationship with God in this experience of the angel coming and speaking to her. So when the angel comes and speaks to her and says you're going to have a baby, after explaining why that can't be true, uh, she, she accepts the message of the, of the angel. And in, in accepting the message of the angel, uh, Mary gives us and shows us the characteristics of hum, hum, humble submission. And so many times when God asks us to do something or when we read in the scripture and it says, go and do this or be this kind of person or have these kinds of relationships and we get to that point where we have to say, okay, what am I, how am I going to respond? The holiday time in our, in our society, is, this year specifically, has been more difficult than many years. For, but for many years, families get together or don't get together because of uh, relational issues. And some of those relational issues cause them to not um, speak to each other, to not be in the same buildings with each other, all, all of those difficult kinds of things which can be a part of family relationships. Well, we have to understand the teaching of the scripture and it says that we are to especially love one another and especially love one another who are in the household of faith. That means uh, fellow believers. And yet so many times we are, uh, uh, the, the churches, the families that profess to be Christians haven't dealt with the, the divisions and the issues of, of uh, separation that have come into their life. And that, that those issues of separation can, can be uh, really heart-wrenching and it can really be painful to, be, to, to understand uh, that, that when feelings are hurt, when hearts are hurt, um, God has given us a remedy for that, and that is that we, we confess our sin. He is faithful to, confess, to, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. He's able to forgive us in our sins. And you may say, well, that, it wasn't my fault. Um, Back some years ago when I was working at the Counseling Center, uh, Tim Bryant, who's the director of the Counseling Center, helped us understand that. And he said sometimes people will come and they say it's, it's his fault or it's her fault. And, you, and he said, Tim would say, well, you have to look at your, the whole circumstance. And even if it's 1% your fault, it's still your fault. And the scripture would say to us that when we come into relationships with each other, and we understand the power of God's love, the power of God's love is able to overcome everything in our world, even death itself. 
This morning, if you're here and you're wondering what's, how am I to respond to certain people in my family, certain people in my business or school, certain people in my work uh, environment or in my uh, social relationships, and, and you understand that somehow there are these divisions in those, then the challenge is to understand that what God is doing in your heart and life is the same thing he was doing in the life of Zachariah and Mary. And that is to bring them to a place where they can understand that they ought to offer themselves to Jesus Christ. They ought to offer themselves to God in worship. And when we offer ourselves to God in worship, what happens is then God builds us up. Paul tells us two or three illustrations about the church. And one of those illustrations is that it is a, it is a building and that each of us are like a, a building block, building stone and that he is the chief cornerstone, but in all of this, he is the one who is building the church, and, and we have to be submissive to him and his work so that in that submission, he can place us in his church in the way he wants us to be, but more than that, he can give us a spirit like his spirit, which allows us to live with people and because of where people are and our, our relationships, that we could, um, we could understand that. If you've never submitted yourself to Jesus Christ uh, and humbly ask him to uh, make you his servant, as Mary does here in this passage in Luke 1, then today is a day where you can begin that. I think it's Friday this week. They say we're going to have New Year. You know, what does that, what does that mean? Well, for, the, for, for us as believers, what it means is God is calling us to renew our relationship with him to bring back into our thinking, to bring back into our living, to think back into our, to come back into our reading of things, all of these things that, that allow us to then be more spiritually connected to God. And as we are more spiritually connected to God, then we can be more spiritually connected to each other. This is not gonna solve every problem that you have relationally, but it causes you to be in that right place with God. The third person we wanna look at today is Joseph. In, in this, in, we're going to look in a Matthew passage for Joseph. And in Matthew uh, 1, 24, it says, when Joseph woke from sleep. Now, God had given Joseph a vision while he was asleep. And it says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, commanded him. And he took his wife, but the, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. What we see in Joseph here is not just, I'm going to be obedient in my brain. I'm going to say, well, God says love everybody, and I'm going to love everybody. But what we see in Joseph is that Joseph puts his, his thinking into action. And the parts of the, of the story that we know about Joseph, very little we know about Joseph, is that we see Joseph being obedient. We see him being obedient to um, those things which are in his culture, uh, when the Caesar said we all need to go to our hometown to be counted, he and took his nine-month pregnant wife on a road 90 miles uh, to, to be obedient in that. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that we are to be good citizens. And so there's a sense in which we see in Joseph this characteristic of being a person of action. When, when we see Joseph then having this dream in which God says, 
to him, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. Now in the culture that they lived in, the text tells us Joseph didn't want to put her to shame. Uh, he, was a, he was an honorable man and he didn't want to treat Mary in an unhonorable kind of way. And so he, he determined in his heart, but God said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Now this is a pretty big deal in their culture. Even many years later, more than 30 years later, Jesus is going to be back in Nazareth. And he's going to be preaching a sermon and he's going to be telling the people what the word of the God says. And they're going to say, uh-oh, we know this guy. He's Joseph's son. And so th this idea of Joseph and Mary and the son who was born and under, under circumstances which were difficult to understand, uh, that, that everybody knew about that in the village of Nazareth. But in spite of all of that, Joseph said, I'm going to do what is the right thing according to what God's word says to me. And so it says he, he didn't hesitate to take Mary to be his wife. Now, um, last week I listened to Pastor Jesse's um, Howard sermon, and he talked about this, and he talked about the cultural stuff that goes along with having a marriage. There were three stages to this marriage, and Joseph and Mary had... Uh, not come together as husband and wife yet and so they're probably in stage two of these three stages but but at this point in spite of the fact that that all of the cultural things hadn't been completed that Joseph was obedient to what God told him to do we live in a culture in America where it's very difficult sometimes to offer a pure true expression of your faith in Jesus Christ you have to understand that there are things which are uncomfortable, maybe a good word. There are things which are culturally unacceptable uh, that as believers, the scripture tells us that we need to be obedient for. And in this place, in this time, uh, Joseph went against all of the normal things that might have been done in their village. And he, instead of uh, doing what was what was normal in his culture, he stepped beyond that and he exercised faith. And he was he he not only believed that God was going to do this, he acted on what God told him to do through the through the vision. And we understand that in our culture, as we act on things which the Scripture tells us to do, that sometimes people are not going to be happy with that. They're going to give you a different kind of name, or they're going to call you a name, and they're going to say, well. What, what right do you have to do those things? What right do you tell me how to live? What right do you have to tell me what not to do or what to do? And uh, uh, the answer to that question, Joseph help, helps us to understand that. He helps us to understand that when God's word is clear, then we are to be obedient. Joseph's dream was clear. Uh, the angel coming to Mary was clear. The angel speaking to Zechariah was clear and what God was somehow at work and doing in their lives which beyond went beyond the scope of the things that they had, had, had understood they, they had not understood that God was at work we might use the term I haven't heard it much lately he was outside God is at work outside the box that that the culture has a certain set of rules and and those in our culture are very flimsy they're very movable they're 
relativistic in many kinds of ways, but, but, there, but there are things that are out there that are part of the culture. And, and for us as Christians, so many times what we have to deal with, what we have to say, what we have to be obedient towards what the scripture says are outside of those normals, things of, the, of, of, Christ, of, of a culture that we live in. And so what we understand is that, that God is presenting to us an opportunity to understand that he is at work in, be, in things beyond what our culture can understand. He is at work in things beyond what our thinking is in a normal kind of way. Um, they say 2021 is coming, right? How many of you have said, I'll be glad when 2020 is over? Uh, I see lots of hands there, thank you. Um, but that's not gonna make the difference. For us as believers, the signs of the times are clear and present to us that the Lord is soon to be returning and that if we're gonna be uh, a part of that great, um, I appreciate the church that we prayed for this morning, it's called the Great Commission Church. I've read a couple of places where Southern Baptists want to change the name of Southern Baptist to Great Commission Baptist. Uh, I, I think that's pretty good stuff. I'm not sure what the motivations are for all of those things. But what we have to understand is that somehow God is at work. And his, his desire for us is clear. It is very clear that we would understand the power of his work that goes beyond the norms of our culture. It goes beyond the things that we understand and say and how we work and live in this world. As you start a new year, maybe you're a person who says, I'm going to have New Year's resolutions. Uh, uh, people who studied that kind of thing said New Year's resolutions usually last about two weeks. But we, we certainly don't need a New Year's resolution, but we do need to resolve to be obedient to God's word. We do need to resolve to be obedient to the spirits moving in our life. We do need to be responsive to the, the, uh, the understanding of the scripture that our church has. We are great commission people. We're Christ-centered church. We need to understand that, that that moves us in a certain direction toward the fulfillment of what God has done. In the Gospel of Matthew, so many of the passages that Matthew uses also include this was done in, as a fulfillment of the, of the prophecies. If you look at different parts of the scripture, Jesus gives us uh, passages about the end times, he calls them. The day of the Lord is coming, and we, we have that, and we have passages like from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which tells us what, our, what the world is going to be like before the coming of Christ in the last days. And if you'll look at those carefully, as I've looked at them many times, I have to say that the Lord is at work and he is bringing together all of those pieces which will ultimately result in the return of Christ in power and glory. And because those things are true and because we put our faith in those kinds of things, then what we understand is that that causes us to be like Zechariah, causes us to be like Mary, causes us to be like Joseph, and that when we look at these circumstances of our world and we have fear in regard to those things, that we are to stop having that fear. Uh, I've said this to people very clearly. Sometimes they may think it's blunt, but ultimately God is sovereign. Ultimately God's will will be done. Ultimately those things which we see as hindrances to doing God's will 
are not hindrances when we are obedient to his word and carrying out the prophecies that God has given in the fulfillment of those things in our time and in our world. We've come here today and we're moving toward a new time. Uh, I appreciate so much when Joshua came, he, he, he put a slogan. He said, this is going to be a new day. And the new day is in accordance with what God's purposes are. We are always to be looking how God is at work and doing those things which are seemingly new in our life and in our heart. And we're to make those responses in accordance with that. In accordance with God's will, we respond with, with faith. We move from fear to faith. Uh, we, we respond in worship, and we move from fear to worship, and we uh, respond uh, with obedience. We respond by action. And that's, those are our challenges, not just because it's a new year, but those are our challenges because it is the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that we, are, we, we can choose to, be, to have faith. We can choose to, to not have fear. We can choose to act according to His Word. Would you join me as we pray?